So we have we have brands that you know they, they talk about. Well, I really want to communicate this. I really want to communicate highlight this product, or I want to showcase this part of it. And it's like that's good. Don't get me wrong, but is that what the consumer wants? If it is, awesome. Then you got synergy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ecom Growth Show. Let's go. Boom, boom, we're live. Let's go. You want to introduce, introduce it? Guys, today we have a special guest. You've probably seen him before, but this guy has one of the best beards in Northwest Arkansas. <laughs> he has one of the best uh, careers that we've seen. He used to be higher up at Walmart. I think he was, uh, mm-hmm. what were you, a CEO for a while, Nathan? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Not I, quite. Was, uh, I, I was on the Energizer personal care team. We did all of the Walmart marketing for energizer that's right so now uh, close to a ceo i was just messing around but nathan (laughs) now is our cmo and has really helped us crush our own marketing but he also does something unique too where he's auditing accounts that are coming into our business so he Mm -hmm. gets to look over tons of accounts every single month and gets to see what's working well what's not so i think that's what we're going to dive in today but super excited to have you on today nathan yep let's do it Let's yeah. Go. So I guess the, the main thing when we're looking and this is actually a huge privilege of ours to be able to have like this much data, like we we provide these free audits and it's a super valuable service to prospective clients and people who don't actually end up working with us. It's it's a way that we can offer free value continually and like have a look under your hood, so to speak, and see what's going wrong, see what's going well and send you off with some really good information or use that information to start a working relationship together. So it also gives us the advantage though, of just having like a really good grid for what people are doing in the industry. Cause we're literally doing hundreds of these yeah. hundreds and hundreds. So I guess one thing that I would ask you just right off the bat is um, what's like one of the most common mistakes you see when you're cracking open a prospective ad account. So the most common mistake that I see is Basically, people are are doing what I like to call advertising for clicks instead of advertising for shoppers. Mm. So in, in online retail, you know, we used to have this PPC model where basically advertisers just literally looked at cost per click all day long. That's all they wanted. They just wanted people to click on the ad because typically the brand or the item whatever that team that was managing all that stuff, they knew that if they could get a click, how much that click was worth, how much, you know, how many times those clicks Mm -hmm. resulted in purchases. And then they could determine their cost per acquisition based on a cost per click. Mm -hmm. Now the problem with that model is that there is so much online shopping being done with savvy consumers These people are looking at reviews of products. They're looking at multiple different like products in the space. So let's say for instance, I'm going, uh, here's a good example. I'm going to Colorado for spring break to do some snowboarding. Right. And whenever I start looking at that stuff, I start looking at jackets, pants, gloves, you know, stuff like that. Right. Basically, somebody's going to sit there and look at maybe 50 different jackets before they go on spring break 
because they want to know, you know, is this a good jacket based on the reviews? Is it like how, how much waterproofing does it have? Um, color. Do I like the color? Do I like the style? Is it my style? Does it fit me versus somebody else? You know, all these things come into play and it's virtually like that with any single product you think about in online retail. Mm. So now we have these savvy consumers that are going around there researching before they buy. Mm -hmm. In order to keep those people interested in what you have going on, you have to have a strategy that takes them from basically the first time they see you to the purchase. Mm -hmm. And what we call this, what we call this in Walmart world or big retail world is the path to purchase. It's basically the, the, the customer journey That's what you're taking them on. Mm -hmm. And um, there are different levels in this journey. Um, We call them the awareness levels. So like the first one is when somebody just sees you, they don't really know who you are. They don't know anything about you. They see an ad and maybe they click on it. Maybe they don't, but there's a strategy for that because when somebody sees that ad, you need to be able to communicate with them basically virtually, like they don't know anything about you. You've got to communicate who you are, what you sell, why it's good, all in the matter of 10 to 15 seconds. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which sounds stupid impossible, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's not. That's the thing is that with a dedicated marketing strategy, and when I say that, I mean somebody has taken the time to drill down their messaging they're creative and everything in a way that makes them think when somebody sees me, what do they want to see? Mm-hmm. Or what do I want them to see? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we and, talk about. We, and really quick, just to add to that, you mentioned it earlier, but a big piece that's becoming more and more important is the believability behind it because people, there's a lot of people who can put out a good image and make a crappy product look nice. But like you said, we have savvy consumers now. And so not only are they reading, you know, features, benefits, you know, really going through all the details of the product, they're then looking for believability and social proof. So they're looking for those reviews. And so you do need to always be building that because marketers are pretty good and they can make a pretty crappy product look nice. And so a savvy consumer is going to make sure that it's actually nice through social proof and reviews. Exactly. And I mean, we've talked about it on different episodes and stuff like that about understanding what the consumer is actually looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, you've got to put them, you got to put yourself in their shoes as well. So, I mean, a lot of people think, you know, this is my brand. This is what I want. This is my vision. You know, we, we've talked about that on, on episodes before as well. You know, what is the vision for my company, for my brand, for my items? But you also have to think about, from the other end, like what do these people see when they look at you? Mm-hmm. Not just what you see. So we have, we have brands that, you know, they, they talk about, well, I really want to communicate this. I really want to communicate, highlight this product, or I want to showcase this part of it. And it's like, that's good. Don't get me wrong. But is that what the consumer wants? If it is awesome, then you've got synergy. Then you know what your messaging needs to be talking about. Because at the top of the funnel, which is where that first level of awareness is, at the top of the funnel, you need to be communicating brand. You need to be communicating who you are, 
You need to be communicating values um, and really like what makes you unique from this other person that you might see on your Facebook feed next. Mm-hmm. And so really at the top of the funnel, we're communicating those things, but then it goes further. A lot of times I see people overthink like this part of it, which is the retargeting part. Mm-hmm. Right. So a lot of people understand like that top of funnel cold traffic concept of I need to just get eyeballs. If I get eyeballs and if I get traffic, I'll make some money. Mm -hmm. Right. The problem is that's not the path to purchase all the time. Like I said, you've got people going around, they're browsing on your store, but they're also browsing on other people's stores. And you've got to remember that, Mm -hmm. that these people aren't just looking at your stuff. They're looking at a lot of different stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what you have to do is you have to rein them back in and that's where the retargeting comes in. And it's not as simple as just running an ad with a product catalog, which is what I see a lot of. That's the second mistake that I see a lot of is that people just throw their catalog ads out there that have, it's almost like the Google shopping way of doing things. Yeah. Like, you know, let's just look at products on the Facebook feed (laughs) and, you know, browse around and click on these things in the beginning, those worked so well because nobody else had them. Facebook mm-hmm. was the only person that had that retargeting. Like, I just went and looked at this pair of shoes, and now I'm seeing this pair of shoes on my feed. Like, this is magic. This is this is some <laughs> black magic kind <laughs> of stuff. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Now it's kind of like a known thing. Like people know, like I'm going to go and look at something and I'm going to see it on my social media. Uh It's just normal now. Yeah. So what I see in this mistake is that people don't really have a content strategy for that retarget. Mm. When somebody goes and they interact with you on social media or they click on your ad and go to your store but they don't necessarily do anything inside of the store. They just browse and that's it. You've got to have a content strategy for that person. Mm -hmm. How do I speak to them differently than when I spoke to them the first time? Because what I see a lot of is let's just go ahead and make this ad and let's put it at every single level in the customer acquisition process Mm -hmm. that we can. Yeah. And that's way more common. That's way more common than you'd think just running the same ad, even if they have good uh, funnel structure in there, it's like, why would you put all the same ads and the same content in every single layer? <laughs> Cause it, because then you, you're basically <laughs> blinding them that there is a structure and there is a journey, like you said, a, a path to, uh, to purchase. And I mean, I understand the uh, testing behind it. Like you want to test your ads at every different level. That's totally fine. We're not talking about that. If you want to test your ad at every single level to see where it performs, that's totally fine. Have about three to five different ads to test at every single level. That's what we do. Mm-hmm. We test everybody's stuff at every single level, but it's what we call hyper testing. And what we mean by that is we test it for like two, three, four days at most. And then we start looking to see, okay, this is performing really well at the very beginning of the funnel. This is performing really well whenever somebody interacts with us but doesn't buy. 
And this performs really well when somebody, you know, goes all the way to a cart, but doesn't necessarily purchase anything. Mm -hmm. So then we start to see, okay, now we've got our strategy. We tested it out. We've broken it out. We've, we've figured out what works. Now we know our strategy. And so that's really where like the third mistake comes in is how do you scale? How do you optimize that? Yeah. And really what it is, is taking what you saw in the testing and making different waves of content based on that. Mm. So the third mistake that I see is that people go, they get a really good content strategy figured out and they're like, cool, I'm done. <laughs> right. And you're not done. Yep. Like, I mean, you're not done. Like marketing is not done. You're never done. That's, that's, that's the one thing that, you know, people hate about marketing is that it'll work, it'll work, it'll work. And then all of a sudden, why is it not working anymore? And then like, there's this, there's this collective, oh no, now what do we do? So in it, the, the answer is you take a look at your strategy that you proved now, how can you make the same strategy, but with different content? So, you know, we found that top of funnel uh, ad that performed really well. How can we say that again, but in a different way, at a different angle, mm-hmm. that type of thing? So for us with the online retail, typically we're looking at like a best-selling item that we're showcasing through a video, like you know, somebody walking through, maybe they've got an outfit on, or maybe it's like a mug and they're showing it off and blah, blah, blah. Or, you know, it's a pair of shoes and somebody's walking through the city with like this downward angle showcasing that off. Okay. That ad worked really well. How can we do that again? Mm-hmm. Okay. Maybe we have a new arrival in our store that's coming up. Like, you know, another item that we're about to get some inventory for shoot the same kind of ad with that a little bit different angle, you know, maybe seasonal instead of, you know, using a winter backdrop or using a spring backdrop type Mm -hmm. of thing. Yep. That like, that is marketing right there. Like people that can take a look at what they're doing and basically multiply it every single quarter or every single season. Mm-hmm. That's what we do as marketers. Yep. Like that's what, that's what we do at every single level in retail, whether it's big box retail or indie brand retail, we need to take a look at, okay, obviously guys, summer's coming up and we're not going to be selling the same stuff that we sold in the winter. Yeah. So how do, how do we take our strategy that worked in the winter and apply it to summer? So that's really the third mistake that I see a lot of is that people just don't try to scale and optimize a strategy like more than once. Mm -hmm. They just try to stick with something and stick with something and stick with something. And when it breaks, they don't really know where to go from there. Mm -hmm. What about some things where we, um, where we see some warm signs, maybe some things that the brand is doing correctly um, that are like getting them on a good trajectory Basically, but maybe they don't have the full picture. What are some things that we see a lot of people actually doing good? And and what are some things that we could communicate um, so that if people are doing them, they know they're on the right track? So basically, this comes down to metrics. We start looking at things like return on ad spend, 
cost per acquisition. Um, you also have to look at how much budget has been tested against something. Mm-hmm. So something we talk about it all the time in team meetings, something that has a high return on ad spend. If there's only been a hundred dollars thrown at it, mm-hmm. like, you know, we could get a 10 X 20 X return on ad spend on one sale. And that looks real sexy when you pull up the return on ad spend. <laughs> but at the end of the day, it was just one sale. Like we didn't, we don't really know the full picture. Yep. Yeah. Now, something that's been tested against thousands of dollars is a completely different story. Mm-hmm. Um, what I like to look at is I like to look at the return on ad spend first and see if I can find at the top of funnel, if we are even, you know, over break even point, mm-hmm. then we're doing pretty good at the top of the funnel because you're basically paying for free people. Like you're paying a break even point to get people into your customer acquisition system. And you're going to be selling to them over and over and over again. Yeah. So we're really building that lifetime value customer there. Yeah. So at the top of the funnel, that's the first thing I look for to see if you are getting an affordable cost per acquisition at the top of funnel. And this could be different for everybody. Uh, I audited somebody two weeks ago. They were doing, about a 1.5 to 2x return on ad spend. And then I looked at their cost per acquisition and their cost per acquisition was $130 per sale. Ooh. So I'm sitting here going, what are these people selling? <laughs> so I go into their site and it's a bunch of like 75, 80, $120 items. So then I'm thinking, oh, so they've, they're actually doing pretty good at building their cart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Building that average order value. That's the next thing we look at is average order value. Like if you can sell something for $120 and still be making money on that, Mm -hmm. you're doing pretty damn good. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you're selling something for $20 and you're you're making that kind of money, you're doing even better. Mm -hmm. But if you sell something for $20 and you only make $35, -hmm. then all of a sudden you're not doing too bad. Mm-hmm. Nathan, you know what I mean? It's not scalable. Yeah. Yeah. Who can benefit from a proper paid ad strategy like this? I think I know what you're going to say. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> it's everybody, I mean, right? You know what I mean? Maybe just break that down. Like it, this, you've told us before, you're like, I don't care who it is, what they're selling. If I have enough time and enough budget, we're going to see stuff start happening maybe speak to that a little bit like this is not you know just for people who have xyz in place like if you sell online and you have a little bit of a stomach and a budget for some of this like you're gonna get it figured out we have enough tools and and data and stuff to be able to make it make it happen right that's pretty much my mentality (laughs) that if you got if you've got money to put behind advertising, I can make something happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, that's the way my mind works when it comes to your brand is, and that's the way if somebody's watching this and, you know, either they want to do it or they want to hire somebody to do it or whatever the case may be. If you know how to basically market your brand at every single level in the customer acquisition process, you can make money. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, 
the good, the cool thing about what I do is that I can do it for multiple people. I can take a brand and I can break it down and I can virtually say by the end of it, like I can make these people money in this way, this way, this way. I mean, that's really what you want to look at. Like Mm -hmm. you want somebody that can take your stuff and break it down into a strategy and basically be able to say, if we do this, this, and this, and you can, you know, take care of this on your end. Maybe it's the creative, maybe it's videos, maybe it's photos. uh, Maybe it's amending your website a little bit to, have a free shipping offer or something like that. Just those little bits and pieces that you can do on your end. If you can do that, we're going to make some money. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'd say there, there's another step down from that. That's even a little bit warmer where it's like, even if you're, even if your ad account is a mess, you don't know what you're doing. There really isn't much warm signs, but we see that you're a brand who has a following you're a brand who's, you know, maybe building a Facebook group, maybe has a lot of followers on the the Facebook or the Instagram page, and they're actually an engaged audience. If you're a brand that has, I guess I'd call it like social momentum or brand momentum, um, that's like even, you know, even a step better where if you have that, what we can do is just really amplify that and put some ad spend behind it and, and, that's what helps people scale really quickly is when they've already figured out how to speak to their audience, their audience already likes their product, but they just need the strategic part. That tends to be a really, really good fit, which is even like a step better from just somebody who's willing to, to do what it takes to make the money. Yep. And um, data goes along with that as well. Mm-hmm. Like somebody like from my end, uh, followers, engaged audiences, stuff like that that's that's a really good uh, that's a really good foundation Mm -hmm. but there's also data with that so whenever we do as a marketer we take data and we build build and build and build because if you can take a little bit of data and basically turn it into this much data then all of a sudden you're selling to this audience and then you're selling to this audience and that's really where the scalability comes is when it comes to organic marketing and followers and stuff like that, you really are capped in how much potential you have. Yeah. But whenever we take that data and we put it into a paid ad system, the potential is uncapped. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that's been so cool too, that we've seen with a lot of our clients is um, I feel like a lot of people, when they think about scaling, and specifically scaling an e-commerce brand, they think about a really large investment and they're thinking like, you know, I'm going to really have to just be, be be bold about putting in a ton of money, ton of ad spend, buying a ton of in, inventory, and then eventually I'm going to see the, the fruits of that. And that is a really good perspective to bring into a relationship with an agency or someone who's going to help you out in your marketing. But what's cool is, not only have we been helping people get more profit or sorry, more revenue, we've been getting them more profit just because the results are that good when you actually have a strategy that's working. And so that's super cool too. Like if, if you do it right, there actually is more cash to reinvest into the business and keep and use that to get the flywheel going more and more. 
that's what we're all about, you know, more revenue, but not just more revenue, also more profit. And that is the name of the game in retail. I mean, you got to think about it when, and I talk about this all the time with uh, the team or even prospects, you know, with Walmart, it's all CPG stuff. It's all household, household, sorry. Yeah. Household goods. Yeah. Right. So it's stuff that you have in your pantry. That's $3, $4, $5. A lot of people look at that. Even sometimes our team looks at that and they go, how do we, how are we going to make a margin on that? Guys, I'm going to throw our sales team under the bus. That's always what they say. No, they're they're learning a little bit more, but you should speak to that a little bit because that's like a huge emerging thing. Like um, just the way our current world is, like a lot of that's going online and they need help and people like us can help them. So maybe speak to that a little bit. The biggest thing that happened over the pandemic was a need for online ordering for daily necessities. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing that happened in the pandemic and convenience is the biggest key because people need to be able to pick something up or they need to have something delivered instead of going in a store filled with 500 to a thousand people and potentially exposing themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. So all of a sudden this huge demand started becoming a like, a necessity like people had to get online order processes in place for stuff that normally they would sell in store brick and mortar. And that's it. Um, part of that was grocery grocery got huge online last year in 2020 because people needed all of their necessities, all of their groceries, all that. But it's like, I don't really want to go and expose myself to the public and possibly get whatever everybody's getting. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Did you so, just say expose myself to the public? <laughs> that didn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying. I get it though. You Go on. What, you get what I'm saying. Um, but yeah, they um, order pickup became a big thing. Yeah. Order delivery became a, a big thing for especially big box retailers. But when we talk about like that specific industry being online, it's really hard for somebody that maybe owns a farm and, you know, puts out their own grass fed beef or whether it's, you know, beef or um, I don't know, vegetation, produce, whatever you want to call it. A lot of those people in in traditional senses have relied on retail to mm-hmm. make their money. Yep. So it's like, I'm a farmer. I've got to put that into a store mm-hmm. so that it can sell. And that store controls the supply chain. They basically tell me, and you guys know this with fishing, yep. they control the market. They tell you how much they're going to pay you for it yep. because, they, because they have to make a margin on it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. It's so funny you say that. I I was looking over Daniel's shoulder. He just had somebody, a a fisherman who's trying to do direct to consumer, um, you know, reaching out to us. But stuff like that's happening all the time. And it's nice because you do, you have much more control if you can go 
direct to consumer. And the way you do that is through having your own website and being able to properly market yourself. And after I get done with this, uh, this little segment, I'd, I'd like Dan to speak on this from his speak, uh, his fishing experience, like about the market and stuff like that. But yeah. the, the big thing with those people is that they look at online sales and they think, how am I going to make a margin on this? If my product is only 20 bucks, mm-hmm. 30 bucks at most. And that is not the case at all. You don't have to get a $5 cost per acquisition to make money or profit. What you really need to focus on is your lifetime value and your average order value and increasing those things instead of looking at how much does it cost me to get somebody one time? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know what I mean? You think about like seafood, like you guys are in your fishing uh, experiences Seafood. If I am somebody that eats tilapia every single month, I've got to buy tilapia every single month. Mm -hmm. Right. If I can find a convenient and affordable way of getting tilapia every single month delivered to my door, instead of going out in the public and having chaos, that's, that's a win for me. Yep. Yeah. So in, if I see an ad for that and I click on it and there's a subscription in all this and I'm like sitting there going, okay, this is cool. I'm going to sign up for a subscription. This was big in the pandemic. HelloFresh, Freshly, all of these box to door, uh, essentially like meal prepping services got huge. They made a lot of money mm-hmm. because it's direct to consumer. My groceries are getting basically delivered to me. All I got to do is prepare it. Mm-hmm. Right. And I've been telling, I've been, I've been talking about this a lot because a lot of these farmers and fishermen and people like that, that typically had to rely on retail channels now don't have to rely on them anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Dan, like in your, with your fishing experience, like if you had to do this, all over again, like how would you do it with, with fishing? (laughs) Well, I was just thinking about that because we just interviewed someone a few months ago that's doing this really well, but he started out as a commercial fisherman and then realized what's happening with the market. Cause basically the markets are saying, all right, go out fish. Sometimes you don't even know what the price is going to be that Mm -hmm. year. You're just out fishing, hoping to catch a lot and then kind of negotiate. And then they set everyone at a specific price, keep fishing and they have no control over it. They say it's based on supply and demand, but then every time a fisherman would investigate, like, you know, what was the demand last, last year? Like, cause if the demand was high, the price should be a little better. But then they see like everybody sold everything they had, but then the canneries or the fish buyers, they're saying like, Oh yeah, we can't pay that much. We're afraid we're not going to be able to get, get it sold. So we're only going to pay you this per pound. And I would think the same is true for like anybody who's producing something like that, you know, whether you're a farmer, um, whether you're like a coffee roaster, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, it just, it just leaves them in a very vulnerable spot where their, their buyer is controlling the market and they're saying it's based on supply and demand, but it's really just what do they want to pay you? Yeah. Well, so this guy, he started out as a fisherman. Then he realized, why am I fishing when the markets are the ones making all the money here? Fishermen make good money too, but they, mm-hmm. he, he thought outside the box a little bit. 
and basically created his own market where he was buying fish from these fishermen and then he was just remarketing it and selling it direct to consumer online and he said dude i'll spend so much money on my cost per acquisition because once they buy from us they just keep coming back for more Mm -hmm. because that's what's great about fish right it has all these health benefits once people buy it once and they know it's good from that supplier they're just going to keep coming back a lot of people eat it on a weekly basis so Mm -hmm. spend a ton of money to acquire someone because the ltv is so high in consumables like that and the the quality of like produce of meat of fish there's just such a wide range of quality. If you find one thing you like, you like, you're never going to go like explore something cheaper because yeah. everybody's taking a bite of bad fish and it sucks. <laughs> like you don't want to do that. So if you find if you find That's somebody so who's giving you fresh fish consistently, even if it is a little bit more expensive than than maybe this other person, like no one wants to like do that more than once. No one's yeah. going to just experiment with other meat providers or other produce providers if they have something that that tastes good every single time so the I, lifetime value on that is huge and subscription services like and especially now game over game over <laughs> and, and that's what like uh you guys you talked about my beard at the beginning like my beard oil i am dedicated to it because yeah. it's the only one that i found that really like keeps me from flaking and stuff like that. Like it's the only beard oil that I can use that, I mean, I've used a bunch in the past and that's the only one that consistently kept me from flaking and kept it from being itchy and stuff like that. Dude, I've been with this guy since he started and it's like, Mm -hmm. I'm, I added it up and I think I've been with him. I've been on his subscription for like two and a half years. (laughs) That's some pretty good LTV. Yeah, because it's like, I I don't want to switch. Even if I see something that a competitor is putting out there, there's always that thinking like, is it going to be as good as the stuff that I'm using already? Mm -hmm, Or is it just going to be a waste of time? Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. Does that wrap it up for today? I would think so. Uh, Guys, if you have a consumer packaged good, if if you have, um, if you want to cut out, a retailer go direct to consumer and you're trying to figure out how to make that work for yourself um you want to join in on that conversation with us we'd love to chat with you because we're we're pioneering this for a lot of people we're figuring it out uh, we're very confident in what we're able to do and we'd love to uh, figure out how to make it work for you as well um so yeah we'll have some links to there's a really easy way for for you to get in touch with with us if you'd like to you just hit a link fill out some information then we can hop on a call and, and see if we can actually help you out and do some of these things that we mentioned today on the Ecom Growth Show. Thanks so much, Nathan, for joining us. You dropped some real nuggets today. And if you guys like what you saw, please share this, subscribe, and we'll see you guys next time.